Hello and welcome to the Monroe Method Clancast. I am your host person, Jason Monroe, and this is episode six. Now, I didn't say this last time. I mean, I probably didn't think it as I was doing it, but it wasn't until afterwards that, you know, when I finished doing episode five, the five uh, traits of successful dieters, you know, I realized just how much I enjoyed doing it. It was by far my favorite episode to have recorded. Um, You can tell when I'm enjoying doing something because I get very passionate about what I'm talking about and I try to fit in as much as I can and, and give as much value as I can. And hopefully I'll be able to do the same today. Now, as ever, I asked my guys in my coaching group for some suggestions on what to talk about. Um, I'm going to take one from there and I'm going to take one from Instagram from a question that came up in my question box because one will lead very nicely into the other. So this was a, let me just check, let me get it word for word on Instagram. So yeah, I put up a question box on Saturday night, encouraging people to make use of me and what I know so far. Um, How do I work out how many calories I should be eating? So that was a question, a question that very many people have. um, And the answer is very, very, very simplistic. However, there's a lot more, there's more to it involved. So let's, let's just dive in. So when it comes to calculating your calories, you first of all need to understand what your goal is. Now, for the vast majority of people that are listening to this or follow me or, you know, whatever, um, it's going to be weight loss, right? That's my niche. That's where I, you know, work with the most people. It's what I'm most known for. And I would say that probably 95% of the clients I work with, their goal is, their initial goal at least is weight loss until... They work with me for a length of time and realize that weight loss is not a goal. Weight loss is a short-term thing we do, so we can then move on to the real goal of learning how to maintain our weights. But keeping it on topic with this one, um, to calculate your calories, you first of all need to know what you are calculating your calories for. Are you calculating your calories to lose body fat? Are you calculating your calories to maintain your weight? Or do you want to calculate your calories for performance, maybe you're doing marathon training or you're going to the gym, Uh, maybe you want to calculate calories for muscle gain. Whatever the case may be, these basic principles are pretty much suitable for most of them, maybe not the marathon training thing. But let's stick with weight loss for now because that's what the vast majority of people are focused on um, that will listen to this. So to calculate your calories, you first of all need to find out your maintenance calories. Now you can go onto Google, you can type in TDEE calculator and you will find lots and lots and lots and lots. In fact, let me do it. Let me do it right now and see, tell you exactly how many. TDEE calculator, 412,000 results. Now there's one right at the top there, TDEE calculator.net. Learn how many calories you burn every day. Mail. 36, oh, I need to change it to metric because I don't know what my weight is in pounds, male, 36, 78 kilos, 163 centimetres, light exercise, 2,233 per day. Now that's not bad because I know what I know where mine is based on 
years of experience, I know that I burn somewhere around depending on um, you know how long the dog's been walked on this particular day, but anything from 2.3 to 2.5. So this estimation, which is all it is, it's a very, very, very inaccurate estimation. Um, we're just trying to get into the ballpark initially, but this is telling me that I burn 2,233 calories a day based on the things that I've told it. Now, the problem with this is this calculator has a, a definition of light exercise. I have a definition of light exercise. Those two definitions might not line up. Um, statistically, people overcalculate how, sorry, people, yes, people overestimate how active they are, they are, and they underestimate how many calories they consume. They've done loads of studies on this, even in nutritions and dietitians, and even with people like me and in this kind of field, they drastically underestimate the calories that they consume. But yeah, when it comes to calculating calories, um, it's the activity level part is the kind of sticking point. We can get a bit more accurate when it comes to establishing people's BMR through sex, age, uh, height and weight. But when it comes to activity levels, God, there's such a spectrum for it. You know, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. So anyway, we are just trying to get into the ballpark. So let's let's stick with, um, with me as an example. I've came out to now. Let's stick with me and with Lightly Active. So 2,226 calories per day. This is estimating that on average, based on what I've told it, that's how many calories I will burn in a day. Part of that will be my BMR. Does it break it down? No, it doesn't. Part of that will be my BMR, which will probably be a bit... Oh, no, it does. 1619. I was going to say about 1600. So my BMR, my basal metabolic rate, the number of calories I would burn if I lay on my back and slept for 24 hours. That's the, and think, I think I spoke about this before in a, one of the podcasts. If we think about that as your body idling, like a car idle. So you switch on the engine of a car and you just leave it running. It would burn a certain amount of fuel just ticking over. That's the same thing when it comes to your basal metabolic rate. It's the number of calories, the amount of fuel your body would use just keeping everything inside of you ticking over. It's the minimum number of calories that you'll burn in a day. So mine's is roughly 16, 19. And by the time it adds on my light activity that I've described, my calories go up to 2,226. So I have my own TDEE calculator. Let's see what the difference is, actually. If I have it on this laptop. Yeah, I do. So I've got my own calculator that I've created based on all the information I've gathered from people over the last four to five years. Um, 163. And I've just kind of refined that over time. So let's see what, what my one says for a light level of activity. Light level of activity, 2,557. Now, the thing is, the way that I... Oh, no, that's not light. That's active. Click the wrong thing. Light activity, 2,301. So there you go. Mine's isn't far off the mark um, compared to this one. But the one that I've put together, my own Excel calculator form thing, that's based on my experience, and that's me finally tuned that over four to five years. 
you know, if, if it seems that I've overestimated somebody or underestimated somebody, then I've made changes to what lightly active means and I've changed the formulas and the calculations to the point where it's where it is now. But yeah, there's as you can see, between the calculator I've used online and my own one, there's a 75, 75 calories of a difference, which is a drop in the ocean. But this is what I mean. We are just trying to get into the ballpark because... It is, it is never just a case of calculating your calories, doing the sums, and then off you go. And that's it. That's not how it works. That's part one of the process. Part two is monitoring. So we actually have to monitor progress over time to understand what these calories are doing. I'll tell you a huge mistake that people make, and I have seen it God knows how many times. Fitbits and the like often drastically overestimate your calorie burn. They are great devices for giving you an idea of what your heart rate is like. They are great devices for giving you an idea of what your steps are like. But they're not accurate. If if there was any real degree of accuracy in them, if you ever went to hospital, they would strap a Fitbit to your wrist instead of clipping your finger onto a machine that cost over £10,000. You know, people, I've spoken to so many people like, oh, you would think when something's this expensive, it would be accurate. I'm like, you paid £120 for a Fitbit. The machines in hospitals are tens of thousands of pounds that do this accurately. I understand you feel like you've spent a lot of money on this, but that doesn't automatically mean that it should come with a very precise degree of accuracy. But the thing that I've seen so many times now, as I just said, these devices can drastically overestimate your calorie burn. Now, I've had so many instances where people will say, well, what I've done was I went and got myself a Fitbit and then I wore it for a week. And then at the end of the week, I took my total calories, I divided it by seven and I started eating that. I'm like, okay, cool. How many calories a day did you start eating? Oh, 2,800. I'm like, what? How many steps do you do? Ah, oh, about eight, nine K a day, you know, and then we get into it. I'm like, yeah, your calories should probably be about two, three, two, four. And in that instance, that person was gaining weight. They had listened to their Fitbit, taking this average and assumed that that was going to be an accurate level of maintenance calories for them. Now, I put up a post on Instagram a couple of weeks ago and it said, your body is the most accurate food diary you will ever keep. Meaning that whatever your weight does, it is in response to the things that you are doing. So the direction of your weight is a reflection of how much you are over, under, or matching your body's fueling needs. So this person started eating the number of calories their Fitbit said, and they started to gain weight. Now, which one's going to be the, the true reflection of what's going on? The fact that their body is gaining weight is an indication that they are in a calorie surplus. It's an indication that their Fitbit is incorrect. It's not that the Fitbit is correct and their body is wrong. It's the other way around. So please, for the love of all that is holy, do not use an Apple Watch, a Fitbit, a Garmin, whatever else you've got to calculate these figures. So coming back to the TD calculator, we are just trying to get into the ballpark. So again, using me as an example, and let's use the, we'll stick with the TD calculator one, not my my Excel sheet. So 2226, I would round that down to 22. So we take my daily calorie burn to be 2200 calories. 
and we, we say that that would be my maintenance calories. Now, to lose body fat, we should all know by now that you need to create a calorie deficit. And you create a calorie deficit by consuming less than your maintenance calories. So if I started eating 2,000 calories a day, I would start to lose weight at a pretty slow pace because a 200 calorie deficit is very small. Um, What would that be? Like a third of a pound a week, probably, thereabouts. Um, But I would start to lose weight over time. Now, if you are accurately... Sorry, not accurately. If you are tracking your progress with structure and consistency, that means not putting yourself in a deficit, stepping on the scales, seeing a number you don't like and saying it isn't working. That's not structure or consistency. The way that we do things or the way that I do things with clients is we, I give them a few different options. When it comes to scale weight, when it comes to the way that we lose body fat, it is a process that takes time. The things that you do today, the things that you do this week, you know, if you if you um, are in a deficit from this, this podcast episode comes out on a Monday, right? So let's say from today, Monday, if you're listening on Monday, by Friday, you should not expect to have seen your efforts that week reflected on the scales. You do not lose body fat that quickly. Your efforts this week will be the results that you see next week and then the week after that because of the way this kind of fat loss cycle works. First of all, we have to create the calorie deficit. We have to force our body to eat itself, basically. We're forcing our body to turn inwards to our reserve fuel source to break it down for energy. And we are doing that in a small bit every day. Now, there are... We think that there are around 3,500 calories in a pound of fat, meaning that when you force your body to turn inwards and break down 3,500 calories worth of energy, that should then equate to a pound loss. It's really not as precise as this. And our bodies don't work exactly in this way, but this is, we have to be able to get it across and explain it and understand it in some way. But that's more or less the general idea of how it works. So if you create a 500 calorie per day deficit, multiply that by seven, it adds up very nicely to 3,500. And on average, you would hope to lose around a pound a week while consuming 500 calories less per day than you needed. That's how it's supposed to work. So when we create this deficit, you know, and let's stick with my example of 200, you would be taking a 200 calorie bite out of your body fat each day. And your weight would come down by, your body fat level, sorry, would come down by a few grams each day. However, it's not as straightforward as that. Because of the length of time this process takes. Again, what we understand so far about fat loss is that our body turns inwards. These fat cells that we have are then broken down and emptied. So the fat inside is broken down. We convert it into energy and we use it. As we break the fat within the cell down, the the space that the fat occupies, the fat cell, it's then replaced with fluid, with water. And this happens. Imagine fat cells being like microscopic frog spawn, 
I suppose that's a good way to describe it. Millions of tiny little circles. Um, and <clears throat> each of these cells, the fat's taken away and it's replaced with water. Now, what's happening there is the fat cell is being left open and ready to receive body fat again. It, there's the expectation that it's going to be filled again. But after a while passes, the body realises that's not happening because all those fat cells that are males in front of us, those are still being broken down. These ones at the back, you know, it, we're not coming back to this. Let's ditch the water from these. And this is what people describe as the whoosh when they see a whoosh on the scales. It's the body letting go of the waste product from uh, breaking down existing body fat. And that's what leads to the new low weights on the scales. That's the moment when the scales will start to reflect the progress. But again, if you think of this as being a pro, a pro a process, it takes it works on like a two to three week cycle. And that's why we say that, you know, this week's efforts are what you see next week and the week after. And the reason that can become very confusing is that when people go on a diet, at the very start, they see the scales come down very quickly. But it's got nothing to do with body fat and it's something I hammer home with all, everyone that I work with on their first check-in after they've done that first two weeks. I'll explain to them in full. From the day you started until this day, that was your body just settling into a deficit, dropping uh, muscle glycogen, using up excess calories, excess energy, ditching the water to go with that, changing the volume of food in your body, the weight of the food in your body, the digestive weight in your body reduced. All these things are happening. That's why your weight came down six, seven, eight pounds in those first three to five days and then did nothing. And it wasn't until you got to the end of week two, your weight dropped by a pound, three quarters of a pound. That was fat loss. You know, so I go, I go to great lengths to make sure people understand this. And that's what can be confusing. When you start the diet from week one, you see the drop. You're you're doing the things, and you're seeing the scales come down, and you're you're making you're rightfully making the connection that the things you're doing are making that happen, but you're not touching fat yet. You're not seeing progress from fat loss, and that's why people have this belief that when they do these things, they should get like instant results for it. I've been quote unquote good all week. I should have seen the scales come down on. Friday kind of thing. Sorry, I went on a pure tangent and lost where I was. 200 calories a day deficit, yeah. So yeah, 200 calorie a day deficit would be very small. So I could eat 2,000 calories a day. The scales would come down very slowly, but it would make sense because I would be in a smaller deficit. Um, yeah, sorry. Let's get to... Yeah, let's do monitoring progress over time. I think I went to touch on that and then got distracted. So when it comes to monitoring progress with the guys I work with, right, the way, the, the key to weighing yourself effectively, think about when you were in high school, when you were in chemistry, when you were in biology. When you did an experiment, you didn't just do an experiment once and take the, the results as the final answer. You did experiments over and over again. I did this experiment 10 times and here were the results 10 times and they were all within this degree of accuracy of each other or we got the same result 10 times. The more data points you have, the more accurate a picture you can paint of the results and it applies to the way that we weigh ourselves as well. People that step on the scales once a week are using the scales in one of the worst ways possible. It's an awful way to use the scales. I could probably do a whole episode on that. 
Um, and they, they'll do it on a Monday. Monday, the worst day to weigh yourself. If you're going to weigh yourself weekly, do it on a Friday morning or a Saturday morning. Don't do it on a Monday morning, after the weekend, after your eating habits and sleeping habits and drinking habits have changed and created massive fluctuations. Anyway, I'm not getting dragged into that. Stop going on about it. Um, So the more data points we have, the more accurate a picture we can paint of progress. So first of all, we need structure. Weighing yourself on the same set of scales on a hard surface, not a carpet. My God, I had someone weighing themselves on a carpet, a big spongy carpet. One day their weight was 14 stone 2, next day their weight was 15 stone 6. I'm like, what the fuck is going on with your weight fluctuations? I've never seen anything like this. Can I just check that you are weighing yourself on a hard surface? Oh no, I keep them under my bed. And I weigh them, I put them on the rug, on the same spot on the rug next to the bed. I'm like, you're on a rug and a fucking carpet. And it explained it entirely. So, the same set of scales on a hard, flat surface. After sleep, this is an important one. It's it's not just, and this is a, a, an important one for the shift workers, it's not just first thing in the morning. The reason we weigh first thing in the morning is because it follows sleep for most people. If you're a shift worker, get into the habit of thinking after sleep. Don't do it in the morning because you won't get good data. Remember, we're aiming for structure and consistency with that structure. So same set of scales, hard surface, after sleep, after the toilet, please don't try and squeeze out a poo. It doesn't matter. Yes, some days you will have a poo in the morning. Some days you won't. doesn't matter. Um, before you've eaten or drank anything. Am I missing anything? Oh, and in similar clothing if you can. If that's naked, fine. If it's your jammies, whatever. Again, structure and consistency. Um, when we do that, we do that daily because again the more data points we have the more accurate a picture we can paint i was showing someone i did a check-in with someone this week excuse me um where they had been forgetting to weigh themselves and the days that they did weigh themselves it was awful because the days that their weight came into their head were the days that they had like a slightly higher calorie day so it was like went out for a meal that day probably woke up feeling a little bloated the next day, made them think about their weight, made them stand on the scales, and of course they saw a number that they didn't want to see. But the problem was they weren't weighing themselves the rest of the time, so they're not seeing the true picture. So I showed them the graphic where on the left side is 14 daily weights and the same on the right side. On the left side, I covered up 12 of them and I just left like the Tuesday and the Tuesday. And on this one, it was like 163 the first Tuesday, 165 the next Tuesday. This person believes they've had a £2 gain. Now, if we take that same person and ask them to weigh daily, and it showed those two Tuesdays, 163, 165, but then it showed every weight in between. And once we weighed ourselves daily, and we had these 14 data points to look at, the, the weekly weighing version looked like a £2 gain, the daily weighing version showed a £3 loss because they saw new low weights in between this weekly weighing day. And that's why it's so crucial to weigh yourself consistently and with structure. Now, you don't have to weigh yourself daily. There are alternative options. Um, My favourite in-between one is the three consistent days weekly. So for most people... 
that's going to be most helpful on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Or if your Fridays are relatively consistent with the rest of your weekdays, even better would be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because as I said earlier, our habits change at the weekend. Not intentionally, you know, we don't deliberately do things. We don't deliberately make our weight go up. The things that we do change. A routine just simply, especially if you work Monday to Friday. Weekends are different. We have longer lives. We have later nights. We might eat later on at night. We might not have breakfast. We might have a larger meal later in the day. We might have a takeaway at night. Maybe we go out for a meal. Maybe there's alcohol involved. Our our weekend habits versus our weekday habits can change drastically. And that can create a lot of disruption on the scales. Nothing to do with fat loss or fat gain. Everything to do with food weight, meal timing, um, macronutrient intake, meaning you know a higher carb intake later on would lead to more fluid retention, maybe a higher salt intake if you're having something like a Chinese or an Indian. Again, fluid retention fluctuations, uh, later nights, less sleep. All of these things can influence your weight. So if you are going to do the three consecutive days, do it on the three days farthest away from the weekend. So again, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if your Fridays are relatively consistent, and do that every week. Now, obviously, it's not as good as weighing daily, but it's still great because you're getting three, at least three data points a week. And you can then say, you know, one might be 163, 165, and then you have a 162 and you go, great, that's a new low weight. And then the following week, it might be 163, 163, and then a 161 and you go, great, that's a new low. Weekly weighing, though, is worse than useless. Um, after daily or three consecutive days, I would say monthly would probably be best after that. But again, that's consistency. Make it like every Friday or every Thursday, but also be mindful of your cycle as well. So the reason I went on about that so much is, you know, when you calculate these calories, the next, you know, when, when I calculate people's calories, that's the easy part. We take the numbers, we take the estimation of activity, I do the calculations and I say, here you go, you will work to 1,400 to 1,600 calories per day. Let's see how your first fortnight goes. And we get to the end of the first fortnight. I look at the progress. I've been doing this long enough now where I can say, yeah, that looks about right. Or maybe it's too much. Maybe look at the hunger levels. They've been quite hungry. They're doing everything right, but they're a bit hungry. Their weight did drop pretty quickly and I can say, right, well, our estimation was maybe a little low. Maybe you're burning more calories. Let's bump that up to uh, 1,600 to 1,800 calories and then they'll carry on from there and they'll do fine. In the same way, it might be the opposite direction. Their weight might not come down. If it was the first fortnight, I wouldn't do anything about it uh, unless it was drastic. In the first fortnight, I wouldn't do much because, again, remember that first week, not much is happening. When we get to the next fortnight, you know, once we get to the end of four weeks and I've got loads of data to look over, I can then say, right, you are losing about half a pound a week. Your calories probably need to come down. What are your hunger levels like? You're actually doing okay. Let's drop down by 200 for the day for the next fortnight. See how that goes. And that should pick up your progress a bit. So this is what I mean. When we, when we use TDEE calculators to calculate our calories, that's all we are doing. We're getting a number. Another question that comes up a lot on my question box is people are confused. I've used so many calculators. They're all coming out with different numbers. Which one do I go with? It doesn't matter. You pick anyone. Pick anyone. But the important thing is to stick with it because you need consistency. Stick with it consistently. 
monitor your progress with structure and consistency. If you are sticking to 1,600 calories a day and you are not taking the piss, actually being accurate with it, doing it properly, and you get to the end of four weeks and you've lost a pound or two pounds, then you'll know that your calories need to come down. So in that point, you could say, right, let's go from, what did I say, 16? Let's try 13 to 1,400 for a fortnight or three weeks and see how that goes. And you would see your progress start to increase. But again, I'm a bit funny about handing out this kind of advice willy-nilly because there's a lot more involved. Um, Your diet quality is going to play a major role in your ability to stick to these lower calories. It's, It's why I would tell anyone to get a coach to help them with this, even if it's just initially, um, just to get to grips with it, just to have a professional help help you calculate these, dial them in, fine-tune them so that you are making progress. And then if you want to go off on your own, then you can do that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's not as simple as it should be. Um, it's not as simple as just putting your stuff on the internet in a calculator and just doing it. There's a, a measure of monitoring and adjusting, but that's the important part. And that's the, the, the part that people struggle with because they use the scales terribly. You know, they weigh themselves once a week. They say they've not made any progress. You know, you, you could use a, cal- a calorie calculator. Your calories will come out at 1,600. It's a bit of a stretch for you because you're used to doing 1,200, but you go with it and you make no progress. But you haven't seen your progress because you've been using the scales once a week or on a Monday after you've had a takeaway and you see your weight going up, and you go, oh, 1,600 is too many, let's go to 1,200. And that's one of the, it's one of the biggest issues with why people fail. They, they, they get involved in the process too quickly, or they're not monitoring progress well enough to be able to make um, kind of informative decisions on which adjustments to make. But again, you know, if that's something you struggle with, if you've tried in the past to do this and you've not got on well with it, Work with a coach, get a nutritionist um, and get help with it just to begin with until you kind of get to grips with it. Then you can go off on your own and do your own thing again. Okay, did I cover everything there for calculating your calories? I think so. Calculate. I mean, that's it, right? Calculate, get the number and stick with it. Then the more, the far more important part than that initial calculation is the monitoring and adjusting. I think that's what I said in my reply, actually. And that's the thing that annoys me. I make these quick replies and it's like, I know what it means, but it's not really giving someone good advice, is it? How do I work out how many calories I should be eating? My reply was, Google TDE calculator, get a number, work with it, monitor progress over time, adjust as necessary, adjust as necessary. I mean, that's sound advice, but it's how does that person then apply that? Um, in their own way. That's where the trouble starts. Okay, so this slides nicely into number two. Um, because obviously if somebody's calculating their calories, they're putting them into my fitness pal or NutriCheck or something, then they're tracking those calories. At the opposite end of the scale, let me find the other question I was asked. So there was two. Lavinia asked... How do you know when you are ready to transition over to maintenance calories? Also, how do you wean us off off of tracking calories? And someone else asked something similar. 
Which one was it? Someone else added about... Yeah, I can't find it. I'm not going to bore you with me trying to read something. Somebody else asked about moving away from tracking at the end. So we'll come back to Lavinia's one. How do you know when you are ready to transition over to maintenance calories? I mean, that's a very straightforward answer. If you are in a calorie deficit, it's because you want to lose fat. If you're going to maintenance calories, it's because you want to maintain your current level of body fatness. Now, that might sound like a derogatory term to some people, but that's what BF means. When you look up your BF percentage or you estimate your BF percentage or your scales give you it, it's it's your body fatness, your body fat levels. And that's not a bad thing because remember, if you've not listened to previous podcasts, we've covered it before, that your body is supposed to carry body fat. Body fat isn't a bad thing. In excessive quantities, yes, it's certainly unhelpful for your long-term health, but body fat isn't a bad thing. You're meant to, your body literally has the capacity to create body fat, to store energy. It's a tool that was used many years ago. Do you know, I was on a meditation course this weekend um, with a guy called Cam Cooney. You can look him up on Instagram, Cam Cooney Meditation. Um, a wonderful meditation course. And it was great because a lot of the things he was talking about when it comes to meditation, I was applying a lot of it to, you know, something I, things I work with and coach people on in nutrition and he was talking about you know things to do with um the way our brain works and it processes things and how the way our body reacts like fight or flight mode it was a response that was helpful many years ago when we did have to hunt our own food and things like that uh but it's not so helpful now in today's world in the same way that the kind of physical responses that we get when it comes to hunger, like the sight, smell, thought, sound of food, triggers like a hunger response. It's like, oh, there's food. Need to seize this opportunity because food is scarce. You know, evolution has not caught up with today's world. We have lots of um, things that are built into us and ingrained in us that aren't really helpful in a, a very modern world. Anyway, the point of that tangent was that body fat is something we're supposed to have. It serves a purpose, perhaps not in today's world, but a long time ago when we did hunt, grow, gather our own food, there were times when food was, wasn't was uh, abundant and we would pack on the pounds intentionally when food was plenty and that would help see us through times when food was scarce. Because that's what body fat is, a reserve fuel tank. So again, your level of body fatness, it's not a derogatory term. We're not, you know, it's not offensive. Um, So you shouldn't choose to take offense at it. But you are supposed to have body fat. I have body fat right now. You have body fat right now. And we would all do a lot better of accepting the fact that it's something we're supposed to have, supposed to gain. Just not in the the levels that, you know, some of us do go on to gain it. And, you know, that's going beyond kind of hungers and needs and moving into the complex world of, you know, our mindset and emotional relationships with certain foods. Anyway, back to this. If you want to reduce your body fatness levels, then you create a calorie deficit and you maintain a calorie deficit until you are happy with your level of body fatness. 
when it comes down to a point where you say, cool, I'm done now. This is a nice place to be. I feel comfortable. My running is going great because I'm thinking of Lavinia because she's a runner. My performance is great. I can fit into all these clothes again. You know, whatever it is that's important specifically to you, it varies wildly from person to person. When you get to that point, then that's it. That's when you stop because that's what maintenance is. This was something I spoke about with my guys in a video daily post last week. Weight maintenance is not the maintenance of weight loss. This is a really messed up thing that people say the way that people look at it. I've maintained this five stone loss for two years. That's not what maintenance is. Weight maintenance is the maintenance of your current weight. Your current level of body fatness. It is not the maintenance of weight that you lost two years ago. That's a ridiculous way to look at it. It's the maintenance of your current, where you are right now, your current weight, your current physique. So, that very long-winded answer to part one of that was, how do you know when you are ready to transition over to maintenance calories? That would be when you are happy with your current level of body fatness, when you are not, sorry, not happy with your current level, but reaching a place where you no longer want to continue losing body fat. That's probably a better answer. Once you've reached the place, the point where you think, right, that's it, enough's for me, ready to stop, that's when you go over to maintenance calories. Because by definition, maintenance calories is the number of calories required to maintain your current weight. Not lose weight, not gain weight, maintain your weight. Part two of that. Also, how do you wean us off tracking calories? Now, this is a really good one because it lets me explain my process um, to the wider world, but also to the people that are not quite sure about it in the group. Now, we don't just go cold turkey. That would be a bit of a shock to the system. So, again, this is going to be a complex answer, but I'll try and keep it as short as I can. Inside the Monroe Method, I push very hard all the time, and I've done it just recently. You know, when I see people who have their calories going to exact number, you know, let's say you tell someone, set your calories to 1,600 and work to the range of 15 to 1,700 for flexibility. And they come to a check-in, and their calories are exactly 1,600 every single day, no deviation for days at a time, weeks at a time. I don't like that. That isn't someone that is eating what they want, that's someone that's allowing an app to tell them what to eat, an app to tell them how much to eat. That's someone going in at 7 o'clock at night, seeing they still have 200 calories left over and eating them. Not because they need them, not because they wanted them. I mean, yeah, kind of because they wanted them. Not because they need them or they were intending to have them, but because they went into the app and it said, you know, you are 200 calories under 1,600. They go, oh, I'll just have something else. When you, If you get to that point with tracking, you've completely lost sight of what tracking is for. If you're not, if that's how you've always approached tracking, then you've, you don't know what tracking is for yet. Inside the Monroe Method, we use tracking as a, an educational tool. Tracking is there to teach because the vast majority of people I work with do not understand the value of food, do not understand the energy value of food, don't understand the nutrient density of certain foods. I love it when people start tracking and they say, oh my God, I cannot believe 
how many calories are in 300 grams of pasta? No wonder I wasn't losing weight on Slimming World. That one comes up all the time. Um, and it's such an eye-opener for them. I didn't realise it was this many calories in just one biscuit. I didn't realise it was this many calories in a handful of chips. And these, and I didn't realise it was this many calories in, you know, some Walker Sensations or Chili Heatwave Doritos, the best crisps in the world. It's an eye-opening experience for them. And it very quickly teaches them that, yeah, I know you probably you didn't think you ate that much and you you think that you've struggled in the past to lose weight because you've not been eating much, but now you can see where the extra calories have, have sneaked in and how easy it is to, to consume a lot of calories with very little food. So the first element to tracking is it's an educational tool. But you have to learn along the way. You can't just become dependent entirely on the app. Because if you become dependent on the app, then you'll never get away from tracking at the end. So that's why I pick up on things at check-ins like, this isn't a reflection of how people eat in real life. Nobody eats exactly 1,600 calories every single day. I would like you to start approaching this more naturally. I don't want you allowed to let my fitness pal tell you how much to eat. I want you to decide what you're having for the day, put it into my fitness pal and see how it goes. You are the one telling the app what you are eating. The app is not telling you how much you should eat. Now, I know that sounds a bit backwards, but we put the, the numbers in the app and we use it as a guide. That's all it is. And it's a guide to teach us. Here is your 100 gram protein goal for the day. Don't just fuck around with food until you get to 100 grams of protein. Play around with it and take a look at the food that you're putting on your plate. That chicken breast you have, that's what 30 grams of protein looks like. That yogurt that you're having, that's what 25 grams of protein looks like. This dinner that you've put together, this is what 40 grams of protein looks like. And you should be visual, you know, taking in the visual and understanding what these portions are and how they are helping you. And then taking the time to consider how you feel afterwards, how satisfied you are, how you're not looking for something to eat an hour later because you've had this balanced meal. And we should be focused more on the food itself, not the grams and the calories and the numbers and the exactness of my fitness pal. It is just a teaching tool to guide you in a direction. What was the thing I said once about macros? Think of your think of your macros as a direction to eat, not a number to reach. Not sitting at the end of the day saying, oh, I've still got 20 grams of protein to, to have and then going to the kitchen and eating a half a packet of cooked ham. That's ridiculous. I know people have done it and they do it, you know, and we talk about it at the time. But that's not, you know, when, when I use, not everyone else is like this, by the way, personal trainers or most personal trainers, many personal trainers, I can't say most, that's unfair. Many personal trainers are terrible in the way that they encourage their clients to use my fitness pal. The way that, I'm not saying that my way is the best, but the way that I do things, it is very much about using my fitness pal as a guide to help teach you. It's not something you become fully dependent on. It's not about hitting exact grams every single day. There is a lot of, it's very relaxed, very flexible. You don't get any bonus points or badges or gold stars for getting to exactly this or exactly that. Quite the opposite, in fact. Um, so yeah, first of all, you know, before we get to the end of, of weaning away from tracking, we have to first of all be approaching 
tracking from the right place, understanding that it's going to help teach us, but we have to learn. We cannot just wake up every day and plug this stuff in and not be learning anything about the food that we're putting together. Otherwise, you will you will either one, be a slave to my fitness pal for the rest of your life, or two, you'll stop using my fitness pal and you'll just revert back to how you were eating before you started tracking because you didn't none of this became natural for you. So yeah, that's the kind of important initial part. So you've been, you know, I've worked with someone for a while, they've achieved their goal, and now they have woken up one day, they have stepped on the scales, or they've looked at a photo, or they've just smashed a PB out on a 10k, and they're like, do you know what, I am fucking happy with how I look, how I am performing, how my clothes are fitting, where my diet is at, my confidence in, you know, my confidence in the way I put food together has increased, my relationship with food is fantastic, I'm ready to stop. I'm ready to get away from tracking. What do we do from here, Jason? I want to maintain my weight. How do we go about it? So for those that don't know, the way I do things is we'll calculate people's maintenance calories. We'll put them in a 600 calorie deficit. So let's say it's 2,200. They would be on 1,600 calories with a range of 15 to 1,700. Okay, And that should see them lose around a pound, pound and a quarter, pound and a half maybe per week on average over time. Now, realistically, I could, you know, when we get to the end, we'll have adjusted their calories a few times by that point. I'll take a look and say, right, I estimate that your new maintenance calories, because remember, once you lose weight, your starting maintenance calories, 2,200. By the time you've lost body fat, that might now be 2,000. So we might say, I've estimated your maintenance calories to be somewhere around 2,000. You've been having around 1,500 realistically, we could put you straight to 2,000 and you would maintain your weight. Because again, that's what maintenance calories are, right? The maintenance of your current weight. Your weight would initially spike because you are eating more food, putting in more calories. Your weight would naturally increase, not body fat, weight. Um, but that can be a bit of a mindfuck for many people. Like, especially if someone's been in a, a deficit for three, six, nine, 12 months, maybe more. It's a bit of a challenge just to say, right, jump up 500 calories and fill your boots. That's overwhelming for most people. So here's the way that I do things. Let's go back to the 1600 calories example. If someone was on 1600 calories, I would say, right, for the next two weeks, you are going to work to 1800 and work to a range of 17 to 19. And you're going to carry on as if you're still doing the deficit thing, but you're going to learn what a, a... a greater amount of food looks like. Now, another thing you'll hear me say a lot in two directions. Number one, you can't scale a weight gaining diet down. Meaning when someone just tries to count calories and wants to lose weight, then they have to eat less. And if it's already taking you 3000 calories to satisfy your hunger, how are you possibly going to go to 1500 to lose weight? You'd be starving. So you can't scale a weight gaining diet down. At the opposite end of the scale, you cannot scale a weight loss diet up. Meaning, if someone has found a way of eating at 1500 calories that satisfies them for the day, they can't just eat more of that. Because if they did, they would explode. So it's not about eating a bunch of more protein and a bunch of more fiber and eating more of all these low calorie foods that you've temporarily introduced to help you achieve a deficit we now start to reverse things. So for example, 
maybe you, you switched from regular cheese to 30% reduced fat. Maybe you switched from full fat Greek yogurt to 0%. Maybe you went from olive oil, vegetable oil, sunflower oil to fry light. Maybe you went from regular mayonnaise to lighter than light mayonnaise. All of these swaps that kind of replace things, not like for like, but they helped you reduce your calories. You may find it difficult. I've, you would not believe the number of times, and this, this will sound alien to many people. You won't believe the number of times that people have struggled to eat more. And I believe this is one of the things that makes what I do very different to many other things that are out there. People struggle to go back to normal because their new normal They've created a new normal that has them satisfied on less than they need. This isn't just the usual somebody going on a diet for a little while, then going back to normal, no problem, because it was full of calories and they start gaining weight again. This is someone getting to the end of a process working with me and trying to eat more, genuinely trying to eat more to start maintaining their weight and stop losing, and they find it a struggle. And it's because they have a new way of eating that they want to continue with, but we just need to start making those swaps and undoing some of these low-calorie options that they've been sticking to for this time. And it's just a case of swapping things, you know, taking a look at the things you've swapped out, maybe the things that you've taken out your diet for a while, and just gradually bringing them back in again. So, the person at 1,600 calories, they would do two weeks at 1,800 calories, and I would see how they would get on. Now, in many cases, they'll do two weeks and it will still be very close to what they were doing before. So we'll do another two weeks, but this time we'll give them a bit more kind of encouragement and, you know, do this, do that, swap this out, start bringing that back in. Tell me about foods that you've removed since you started dieting. I want you to go and get them. Start bringing them home and start building them back in again. And by the end of the next two weeks, maybe they're getting to like 1,800 calories. Great. Now we're going to go to 2,000. So they'll go up to 2,000 and we'll do the same for a fortnight. Now, while this is going on, their weight is still coming down. Their body fat is still coming down, but it's starting to taper off. It's not, a, you know, the angle starting to change. And what happens is, it's a transition thing where there's a, there's a crossover. So they're still in a, de- a deficit and they're still losing body fat, but at the same time, they're now eating more. Their food weight is increasing. Their water weight is increasing. They're starting to lift out of this deficit. And then we'll get to the the final step where we actually get to maintenance. I'll be like, right, let's do two weeks at 2,200. And then we'll stay there. We'll maybe do it another two weeks. We'll see how it goes. And once that person is happy and comfortable and ready, then we will suggest either, depending on how they want to do it, we remove tracking entirely or... We, we, we go to either, for most people, it would be just be go to track in the weekends. So you would stop tracking Monday to Friday because many people have a good routine. They have similar meals that they eat most nights that they cook for themselves or the, the, their partners or their families. They take similar lunches to work. They have a good idea of what it takes to feed themselves day to day. And maybe they'll carry on tracking at the weekend for a while. But the long-term goal for everyone I work with is if they want to, to move away from tracking entirely. That doesn't mean tracking's a bad thing or something that you shouldn't do. Fuck me, I've been tracking my finances for, what age am I, 36? I've been tracking my finances probably for the last 15 years. And I mean, that sounds perfectly normal, right? It sounds normal to track your finances. How many of you keep a diary? 
How many of you keep a track of your thoughts in a journal? How many of you keep a track of your time in your diary? Or on a calendar? Does it then sound ridiculous to keep a track of your nutrition? Or a track of your finances? Not really. If people enjoy tracking, then that's fine. If it comes from a place of love and they're doing it out of a kindness to themselves, then that's great. If they don't have a great relationship with food, then it's probably not going to be helpful long term. But you do have to be in a good space when it comes to food and your body and things, if you do want to carry on with tracking. But anyway, yeah, we would get up to the maintenance calories and then we would start transitioning from tracking. You know, maybe maybe they drop two days a week, three days a week. Maybe it's Monday to Friday. Maybe they drop the weekend. Maybe they just track the weekend. Maybe they have a practice where they don't track for a week, whatever it is. And But at the same time, have them monitoring their progress. Maybe not with daily weighing, but with other things. Um, how do your clothes feel? How does this feel? How are your measurements? And what it does is it builds the case for them. It builds their confidence. Meaning that, you know, a lot of people worry that the minute they stop tracking, their weight's just going to go up again. But listen, you do not need to, <clears throat> when you've been doing it for a good length of time, you do not, you can carry on eating the same without tracking it. It's the same with steps. You can still go for a 40 minute walk without wearing a Fitbit. You'll do the same number of steps. You just won't see them. You don't need to wear a Fitbit to go for a walk. You don't need to track your nutrition, your calories, your food and my fitness pal to carry on eating the same. But there, yeah, we can build that confidence and help them have confidence in themselves and the things that they've been learning during all this time they've been working with me. You know what a balanced meal looks like. You know what 30 grams of fibre in a day looks like. You know what 100 grams of protein in a day looks like. Yes, it would be unrealistic to expect you to, to carry on exactly as you are, but you've had a bloody good go at tracking. And yes, your protein will probably fall away a little bit. So will your fibre. So what? How far have you come since the day you started? If I could track your nutrition without you seeing it, you know, and yes, it probably would dip a bit from what it was when you were tracking. But if we could compare that to where you once were to where you are now, you have you will have come a million miles. Um, not only that, you'll have lost a lot of weight. You'll now be at a healthy weight, potentially depending on how much weight you've lost or what you've done, adding years on to the end of your life, adding years on to the end of your life in terms of also um, not dieting. You know, I would think about the amount of years you're going to dedicate during the rest of your life to going to Slimming World or Weight Watchers again and again and again. You've freed yourself from that now. So, yeah. Yeah, it's... It's something that has to be done with care. Tracking isn't something that should be taken on lightly. I'm not keen on people just, just downloading my fitness pal and just getting a number and just sticking to it because... For the vast majority of people, that's not going to help them. Not in the long term. Yes, you can do it yourself. Yes, you can do it for free. If anyone that's ever sent me this in my fucking inbox is listening to this right now. People have done that in the past. Oh, I can do that for free. I can Google that. Cool, carry on. Spend the rest of your life dieting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that has to be done with care and under careful supervision. In my opinion, especially if you are a long-term yo-yo dieter, a serial yo-yo dieter, that's why I have fortnightly check-ins. God, I could probably set up my business so that it ran without me and it was all videos and guides and 
Q&As and tutorials and you know I would only have to dip into it once a week on a Thursday night to do a live chat and answer questions and that would be it. Maybe if I didn't have a wife and kids I would do that from a beach in Bali or Dubai like everybody else or Australia like everybody else seems to do. I missed the boat on that one. Um, no I, I was actually saying this to someone the other day I could not I don't like that I need to have a hand in it I feel responsible for everyone that invests in themselves by investing in me and that's why I want to be involved in the process as much as I am with our video uh, check-ins and feedback and all those kind of things. Anyway, 56 minutes, that wasn't too bad. I hope this has been helpful. Again, as ever, I don't get feedback on any of these apps that you find us to listen in, so please feel free to email me, jason at munronutrition.com DM me on Instagram. If you're someone from the group, the group, post on one of my daily posts. Let me know how you got on with this or any other episodes. If you want to ask me anything or you want more information about what I do, if you're not a member, just reach out to me on anything that I've just mentioned. Um, other than that, yeah, I hope it's been helpful and I will see you guys in episode number seven. <laughs>